0: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
2: Thanks for handing me that stew of numbers, Frank. I'm Tyler Matheson. Welcome to The Exchange. Here's what's ahead. Uh, the job market still going relatively strong, keeping the Fed firmly on its hawkish pass, path, or so it would seem, stocks lower as a result. But as the market may be overreacting, we'll debate and look at how to position your portfolio from here forward. And the consumer still going pretty strong. New data out from MasterCard. The man behind that report will join us with the trends he's seeing and how that factors into what the Fed may do. And a special three buys and one bail jobs report edition, including one name Gina Sanchez says will do well no matter the state of the economy. She joins us ahead. But we begin with today's uh, sour
3: markets and Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Bob. And it, I wish we had good news, but we don't. We're sitting near the lows for the day. We're still up for the week, but uh, that's coming down slowly. So there's the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Still up. We're up close to 2% for the week, uh, but we've been trending down really since the middle of uh, the week, since mid Wednesday. SP 500, uh, still. Better still, uh, but uh, up 1.7% or so for the week. Uh, NASDAQ's the weakest of the three here. It's up less than 1% for the week. It's the market indicators, the other market indicators I want to show you. The two-year yield troublesome here. It's back near the recent high there. 4.3% 4.3% or so. Uh, the VIX Volatility Index, uh, 30 heading for 32 here. We were almost 35 a week and a half ago. So, not in the I, 35 is where you really start noticing people getting panicky. Not quite there, but elevated. And there's the big thing to look at here crude. Look at that $92. We were in the low 80s not long ago. That is a big, big move up uh, today here. And energy stocks, you'd think they'd be up 3, 4, 5, 6%. Well, no, they're up. Maybe some concerns about global growth, but not that much. Even big names like Hess are actually down on the day. So pretty muted reaction from the energy stocks. As far as sectors, it's very simple to look at this. You want to look at risk-on sectors and are they underperforming or overperforming. The risk-on sectors are metal stocks. Uh, like the XME, Kathy uh, Woods Arc, the transportation stocks, semiconductors. When these are risk-on, these are all outperforming. Today, they're notably underperforming the S&P 500. This means it's a classic risk-off day. Semiconductor's a big story today. AMD's at a new low on that lower guidance about PC sales, but they specifically talked about PC sales. Uh, data centers look pretty good to me, but the market's not paying much attention to that. So where are we right now, Tyler? Well, it's pretty simple right now. We are uh, in a situation where inflation is taking a lot longer to come down, and the market knows that, and that's why we keep getting these brief rallies and then just coming back down, because there's no shift in the hawkish Fed tone that we can discern from today's numbers. Uh, It's just not going to help much, and we're in that stock purgatory now that makes us all crazy. The valuations, is it 15 times forward, 13, 20? Nobody knows. Earnings, are they 220, 240, 200? Nobody knows. You just have very wide variations in the opinions. And Tyler, that makes everybody a little bit crazy. And by the way, you'd think, my gosh, it's down big today. It must be heavy volume. Nope. It's just about average volume, Tyler. And what that tells me is it's not like people are selling like crazy there's just no buying interest at all. And some days that can be just as worse as a lot of sellers that are out
2: there. Yeah, a buyer's strike is never a constructive thing if you want to see prices go higher. Bob, thank you very much. Uh, As the market continues to get spooked by the Fed, uh, our next guest says the Fed continues to get it wrong. He argues that the amount of money supply we've seen from the Fed, up 40 percent since the pandemic, is really what's to blame for our inflation problem. He also says that once the Fed finally takes its foot off the throat of the economy, there's one group of stocks that could do really well. For more, let's bring in Charles Bobrinskoy, vice chairman and head of the investment group at Ariel Investments. I mean, I buy your argument that the Fed got it wrong. Number one, they kept putting money into the economy uh, at a a rapid pace. Number two, uh, they seem to be saying that inflation is where it is because the economy is strong. It isn't. And that the labor market is strong and wages are getting out of control. They really aren't. Um, uh, But but. What? Why does that matter? What you've got is inflation. So what really matters is what you do about that, not how you explain the inflation, right, Charlie, or am wrong?
4: Well, it matters. If the analogy I use is, if you walk into your doctor's office and you've got a bad case of COVID, and he says he denies you have COVID for two years, and then he says, "Okay, I admit you have COVID, and the way I'm going to fix it is by bleeding you with leeches." <laughs> That's what's happened now is that the Fed was wrong for two years. They not only didn't see inflation, they made it worse by pumping 80 to 90 billion dollars into of cash into the economy. You had a great graph going showing M2 money supply increasing 40 percent. And now they think the way to fix this inflation is by messing up the economy. That's a bad answer. That's like putting leeches on a... Yeah, bring out the leeches.
2: Body. Let's try some cupping, huh? What about that? Right. Uh, so, now, Okay, go ahead. The continue. The graph you have, just quickly, Tyler, the graph you have up
4: on the screen shows the money supply, but it, the good news is it has finally started to level out. So since March, the money supply hasn't gone up at all. And so finally, we've got about four or five months of no growth in the money supply, that is going to mean that we get a slow down in inflation but there is a lag and so for the rest of the year we're going to have 8% inflation or so but next year it'll be down a little probably 5 to 6% but the, it's not going to be helped by the fed trying to crush the economy so Sorry. is
2: there well so so that leads me to my next question is there a prescription, Dr. Bobrinskoy, uh, that doesn't involve leeches and doesn't involve cupping that would get us where we need to go that the Fed is overlooking, or are they doing fundamentally what, what using what tools they have? What other tools could they use?
4: Yeah, I would just like them to to not make things worse. And and the good news is things are getting better. Indicators are all, all over the place that things are getting better. Shipping costs are down. Mm. Commodity prices have stopped going up. Wages are up 5%, but that trailed uh, big increases in inflation. So wages are actually a mild depressant of CPI. So there's lots of indications that the worst is behind us. We just don't want them to do make things worse. And of course, the people who get hurt The most by a recession are those in the lower economic strata of the the country. And so it really just is bad policy to try to bring on a recession.
2: Yeah. So just sort of sort of go a little easier. uh, uh, Maybe don't slam the brakes as hard uh, as as they have been doing. So let's get to some some kinds of businesses that you think might profit and do well in the market, um, given what you see.
4: We're going to have an inflationary economy for at least another year. And in this kind of market, there are certain companies with hard assets that can prosper in an inflationary environment. And unfortunately, some of those are oil companies that have hard assets in the ground. Fertilizer companies that have potash uh, in the ground are going to do well. Uh, and real estate actually can do well. Farmland can do well in an inflationary environment. So I do. some of these stocks are very cheap. Apache is trading at four times earnings. Mosaic, the fertilizer company, trading at five times earnings. Uh, and Madison Square Garden, which I always talk about on your show, has wonderful real estate. It's an extremely cheap stock uh, for some complicated reasons. Uh, they own Madison Square Garden in downtown Midtown Manhattan. And that's a wonderful stock for an inflationary environment.
2: Charlie, great to see you. We appreciate uh, Dr. Bobrinskoy. That's what we're going to call you now. The Thanks mayor. for having me, Thank you so much. We appreciate it. All righty, the jobs report may reinforce the Fed's decision to keep tightening, but so far, rising rates have really not put much of a dent at all into consumer spending. New September data from MasterCard show that while spending in and around the home is slowing on things like furniture and hardware, that kind of stuff, people do continue to spend on experiences with restaurants and airlines and lodging, all seeing double-digit gains year over year. So what does this tell us about the economy? Our next guest has a front row seat to all the numbers. Joining us now, Brickland Dwyer, chief global economist at MasterCard. Bricklin, welcome, good to see you. Uh, It would seem to me that these numbers suggest that the people who can afford to spend, i.e. the more affluent people in the country, are spending and they're spending on experiences. They're spending on airfares, which have gone up a lot, not just it's not just because people want to spend more, it's because the fares have gone up. They're spending on hotels, they're spending on restaurants. These are discretionary income buys.
5: Yeah, I think that's right. I think we're seeing a, a really a, a Uh, Interesting story play out that bifurcates the the growth in the economy where you're seeing this, you know, the interest rate sensitive sectors, how I'd characterize it, really starting to take a a bit of a brunt. We're seeing that play out in the housing sector, the auto sector. And then, you know, as the consumers are looking back at where they're spending their money, they're trying to balance between spending on the essentials and spending on experiences that they missed out on during the pandemic. That really is at the core
2: of where consumers' heads are and where they're spending today. You know, I look at uh, particularly airlines uh, spending there up 56 percent year over year. It's it's not just that more people are traveling. is It's also that more people are paying a hell of a lot more to travel. The fares have gone up.
5: Yeah, there, there's some really interesting points. Uh, uh, really stories playing out there. Small businesses are getting back out there and traveling like like they missed out on for quite some time, Mm -hmm. trying to maintain their competitiveness. You're seeing volumes of leisure travel really hold up quite well. So beyond the price story, it's really expensive to travel right now, the travel experience is quite challenging. If you go to an airport, you're not finding pilots or you're not finding the uh, the TSA support that you need. And that's making travel even more difficult. But yet, in spite of that, we see travel demand remaining really strong when we look at the bookings and not just uh, how much people are spending.
2: And as you point out in this survey... Um It looks like furniture and furnishings, a modest gain of 1.4%, hardware 1.7%. These would be what you would call housing-sensitive areas, I guess.
5: Exactly. That's that interest rate sensitive sector, right? right? The housing and autos where the Fed is trying to raise rates and cool down the economy. They are having an effect on housing. They're having an effect on those housing related sectors uh, like furniture and furnishings, as we're seeing in that spending pulse data.
2: Do you exp- now, job growth, uh, I want to switch back uh, away from spending and to jobs, labor participation rate basically flat down a little bit, Um Job growth was lower than it has been over the past. Do you expect, given the fact that a lot of companies have either said they're going to cut jobs or reduce their hiring pace or freeze hiring, do you expect that job growth number to go even lower in subsequent months, maybe even roll over?
5: Well, you know, on the jobs front, I think, you know, when you drive around America, you see a lot of help wanted signs you see incentives to be able to, you know, bonuses to sign up to work at a at a fish factory in Minnesota or whatever it is, these stories really are uh, quite substantial. And I think there's an undercurrent here. You are seeing a lot of headline publications of people talking about reducing the workforce, but you're still seeing that, you know, restaurant demand is really strong as we see in our data, still needing more workers there. You're still seeing that demand across America where you're seeing hiring or that that willingness to
2: hire really remain resilient, that's what's holding up a lot of that number today. All right, Bricklin, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing the data with us. Uh, Have a great weekend, sir. Thank you very much. You got it. All right, coming up, it is no secret the White House is not happy about OPEC's production cut. Up next, we'll look at Washington's response, the geopolitical fallout with crude having its best week since March. Plus, today's jobs data likely won't be enough for the Fed to stop hiking rates. Uh, so where can investors make money in this market? Stocks and bonds, our trader, has you covered with a special jobs report edition of three buys and a bail ahead. And as we head to break, let's get a quick check on the markets with stocks near session lows. They are still, however, as Bob pointed out, on track for weekly gains, Those though those gains have been eroded over the past three days. We'll be right back. This is The Exchange on CNBC.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. a leading global asset manager.
6: You can live out your chef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.
2: All right. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Crude prices are back above $90 a barrel for the first time in about a month. Now, that's good news for oil stocks with names like Marathon, APA, Halliburton, Devon, uh, leading the market this week up more than 20 percent. Look at those moves uh, in week-to-date numbers. Exxon not far behind, up 17 percent since Monday and on pace for its best week ever on record all time. But OPEC's biggest cut to oil production since the start of the pandemic is drawing the ire of the Biden administration, and it could have some big implications for the future. Kayla Tausch with us uh, from the White House to explain. Hi, Kayla.
7: Hi, Tyler. In the wake of that decision, the White House is retraining its focus on major oil companies, saying they're gouging consumers and profiting from it. But White House allies in Congress want more concrete action to retaliate against Saudi Arabia and force officials they see as pro-Saudi to defend their actions. Earlier today, I spoke with progressive Congressman Ro Khanna, who's been a vocal critic of the OPEC decision and the administration's response. He said he wants Brett McGurk, head of Middle East policy, to testify in Congress on why McGurk pushed for President Biden to visit the kingdom, which Kanna says cabinet members objected to. He also wants the administration to ban the export of gasoline, telling me it's not just something they should study and consider, they need to be demanding the Saudis reverse the decision. Sources tell me the Biden administration has for months been weighing a ban on export of refined products, something officials broached yet again with energy executives just one week ago in a meeting. Companies have argued the disruption would cause further increases to prices. But I'm told a ban remains under consideration. On Capitol Hill, two specific bills could gain new traction with bipartisan support. One is called NOPEC. It would remove antitrust immunity from foreign nations that take part in OPEC. That passed Senate Committee 17 to four with both parties support. Another bill released by three Democrats yesterday would remove 5,000 troops from Saudi Arabia and the UAE and remove defense systems too in the wake of the decision. That being said, both chambers of Congress are out of session right now ahead of the midterm, so nothing is likely on that front. Between now and when they return, we'll see what the White House can do next. Tyler? The,
2: the Jones Act is central to much of this. What is the Jones Act uh, and is there any talk of repealing it as a way to increase domestic oil flows?
7: Let's well, come up in discussions Tyler the Jones Act places restrictions on which ships can actually dock at certain locations around the country uh, that have energy products on board. It came up in a meeting this summer with the energy industry asking the administration to repeal it but in what I'm told was a very tense discussion the administration asked companies exactly how much would that take off the retail price of gasoline and the estimate in that meeting was just eight cents a gallon and when pressed energy executives did not confirmed that they would in fact be diverting ships from, say, Latin or South America to New York harbor. So without those uh, commitments and those promises from the industry, the administration this summer uh, ruled out Waving the Jones Act, Tyler.
2: Kayla, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Kayla Tausche on a beautiful North Lawn in D.C. Our next guest, not surprised by OPEC's production cut, says no one really should be, but he is surprised by the White House's fiery response. He says overreaction in Washington could cause unintended consequences for the future of U.S. energy security. Joining us now, James Lucier, Managing Director at Capital Alpha Park Partners. James, welcome. Good to have you with us. I want oh, to get to that. Hello, Tyler. Happy wanna, Friday. Oh, happy Friday to you, sir. I want to Get to the question of, of uh, uh, longer term national security issues and so forth. But I, I'd like you to take apart for us the question of gouging. It comes up all the time when prices rise. Big oil is gouging, gas companies, retailers are gouging. Is that true?
8: Well, not really. I think the White House here is panicked. The White House is overreacting. The White House has a political response that is going to make the political problems much, much worse. Now, on your own newscast just a moment ago, you point out that oil prices up at about $90 are about where they were a month ago. We've seen retail gasoline prices drift down. Retail gasoline prices are still much lower than they were during the peak over the summer. I don't really think the general public is following what OPEC does. But this language about price gouging, this inflammatory attack on Saudi Arabia, this attack on the industry, is gonna make it very difficult to pursue rational policies going forward. And it could make it much more difficult to um, to avoid things like a uh, product uh, export ban or product export controls. That would be disruptive to the marketplace and would probably increase prices for consumers over the long run.
2: I take your point that that uh, oil prices have gone back up a little bit uh, to where they were a month ago. They are, and gas prices are, are lower than they were in the summer, but they have also been moving back up a little bit, right?
8: Well, they have been. And uh, most analysts have expected this. We've expected it for a number of reasons. Uh, Most importantly, because analysts did believe that OPEC would trim its production targets, really bringing them more in line with actual production. And then also, of course, analysts have been expecting the onset of uh, the European embargo on crude. They've been expecting the tremendous SPR release to eventually wind down. President Biden has released more oil from the SPR than any president in history. And uh, this has certainly done something to reduce oil prices. Yeah, well, but he's, it's done not that, he's done that. He's done that
2: for political reasons, hasn't he? I mean, in other words, the voters understand the voters see every day when they get in their car and drive what the price of gasoline is. And so I would say that 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 the administration has a strong incentive with the midterms looming to, to do what they've done, which is to, uh, whether it's the right policy or not, let, let oil out of the SPR. And so what, why would you be surprised then that OPEC would not want to balance that by cutting its output?
8: Well, that's right. If you use the SPR as a weapon, if you are releasing a million barrels a day, to uh, manage prices, then, of course, you should expect OPEC to respond by cutting production mm-hmm. to keep the market balanced. That's only tit for tat. Right. And that's basic arithmetic, too. Likewise, with supply caps coming in, OPEC sees that as an attempt to change the market balance, to bring prices down. Of course, they're going to cut. But the big issue, frankly, is recession. If we do have a serious recession mm-hmm. inflicted in large part by tightening by the Fed other central banks, uh, then oil demand will collapse. And if production is not modified now, if they don't bring production in balance, you'll have a collapse in oil prices, which is also something that might be politically helpful in the short term, but which is in nobody's interest in the long term.
2: No, it, it, it kills jobs and it and it puts us back uh, in, in, in less good position. Let's talk just a little bit about the level of rhetoric, which you think is has gotten overheated. You use the word panicked. Uh, how much of that do you think is real and how much of it do you think is really just rhetoric in in advance of the elections, in other words, that that the, the administration knows it needs to say something, it knows it needs to get out there and and sound and look like it's defending the American consumer, and therefore it calls Saudi Arabia a pariah, and it goes after Russia. How much of this is real and policy-driven, and how much of it is political and just rhetoric gas?
8: Well, this is consistent rhetoric from the White House. They've always been very, very sensitive to oil prices, even— Even when oil prices were much lower, they have basically done everything they can to push Saudi Arabia to increase production more. Mm -hmm. This goes back to the beginning of the administration. But um, when you get this political, um, you know, you're not taking appropriate steps to manage the relationship well. Call Saudi Arabia a pariah, say that you'll never meet them in person, um, you know, attack Saudi Arabia consistently over a period of time. And then on top of that, when you but then you do go and meet them in person. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it's it's very very inconsistent, but it really shows, I think, the weakness of the position. Um, I'd go back to another point, which is that the Obama administration had uh, real pros handling their energy policy. People like Jason Bordoff, who absolutely understand the markets. Likewise, uh, the Bush administration had great people, too. It doesn't seem that there is anybody in this White House that really understands and tracks the market dynamics, which is why we've seen so many discussions of... uh, product embargoes, uh, questions about domestic stockpiles, questions about the Jones Act. This is all pretty basic stuff, but it doesn't seem like there's a single person in the White House like Jason Bordoff or my good friend Bob McNally, who um, really understand the markets well enough to address these problems.
2: Yeah. We, we luckily hear from Bob quite a bit uh, on CNBC, as I'm sure you're aware. James, thank you. fascinating conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Hope you did. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Coming up, used car prices starting to ease up just a bit, but that doesn't mean it's full speed ahead for buyers or investors. Up next, we'll tell you where the strength is and whether higher rates will drive demand down. And here's a look at the Dow heat map with Microsoft, Intel, and Walgreens, the worst performers there. Chevron and Merck are the only two in the green right now. And that's another round of tech job cuts. Check out shares of Spotify, falling in today's sell-off, but taking a leg lower on a report it is canceling 11 original podcasts and will be laying off some of its studio staff. The Exchange is back after this.
6: You can live out your master chef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel.
2: Welcome back to The Exchange for a somewhat uh, messy Friday in the markets. The Dow's low was negative 612 points, uh, right now down 549, down about 2%. S&P 500 almost 2.5%. Every sector except for energy in the red. Technology, the worst performer, dragged lower by weakness in the chip names following AMD's revenue warning. We'll have more on that in just a little bit. Uh, Meantime, CVS on pace for its worst day since the start of the pandemic on a double dose of news. First, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services downgrading one of CVS's Aetna Medicare Advantage plans. Now, that translates into fewer bonus payments to the company from CMS and Mizzouo, Estimates a seven to nine percent hit to CVS's 2024 earnings per share. That is not inconsequential. Also, a report today that CVS is in exclusive talks now to a- acquire the primary care chain Cano Health. Uh, we reached out to both parties; neither one would comment on that. You'd probably expect that if the deal is percolating. Remember last month, CVS said it's going to buy Signify Health uh, for about eight billion dollars. And with today's moves, shares are set to close their worst week since March 2020, uh, three months down 6.5 percent, today down more than 11 percent. Let's go to Bertha Coombs for a news update. Hi, Bertha.
0: Hi, Tyler. Here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden signing an executive order to implement a European Union-United States data transfer framework that adopts privacy safeguards. The deal addresses the concerns of the EU's top court after it threw out two previous PACs due to concerns about U.S. surveillance. One of America's largest hospital chains, Common Spirit Health, is being hit with a suspected ransomware attack. The potential security issue is delaying surgeries and holding up patient care after certain systems had to be taken offline. Several hospitals in Tennessee, Texas and Washington are being affected. For more details on the attacks and what remediation efforts are being taken, tune in to the news tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And the SpaceX capsule carrying four crew members arriving at the International Space Station. The link up is occurring 260 miles above the Atlantic Ocean, just off the west coast of Africa. It's marks the first time in 20 years that a Russian cosmonaut launched from NASA's Kennedy Space Center. I guess space is one of those areas where, for now, at least, Tyler,
2: there's still cooperation. There's still a little cooperation. It must be a, a somewhat um, awkward capsule, if I could say so. I,
0: I would think, although, you know, on an individual basis, probably yeah. not. Yeah, probably right? not. They're, Hopefully they're they don't pros. get into a political discussion.
2: Bertha, thanks very much. Up next, we're going to get actionable uh, uh, on today's jobs report. Gina Sanchez has three names to consider, including this one she says is a solid buy. No matter the state of the economy, it is one of the few stocks that's higher since January. We will reveal it after the break. Welcome back, everybody. It's another volatile Friday as investors digest hotter than expected jobs data and try to anticipate the Fed's next move. Our next guest says that whatever that move may be after today's numbers, it won't be the much hoped for pivot. Joining us now, CNBC contributor Gina Sanchez. She's chief market strategist at Lido Advisors and has three buys and one name to bail on if the Fed continues to tighten. Gina, always good to see you. Thank you. What did you make of the jobs report?
6: well I think everybody interpreted the jobs report the same which is that good news is bad news it means that the Fed has a clear path uh, to continue tightening um, I personally don't think that the jobs report is something that can be read at the top you have to dig into the numbers and there is a labor shortage so I think the Fed could be making a big mistake but they haven't called me for my opinion
2: all right well let's get your opinion on a couple of stocks uh, starting with Costco down more than one percent today but still trying to keep eke out a gain for the week you say it benefits uh, from nearly all angles when inflation surges?
6: Yeah, you know, this is where you go when you want to... Um, buy things at a relatively cheaper price because Costco sells cheap stuff and, most importantly, cheap gas, or at least cheaper gas. And the great thing about Costco is they manage to benefit from inflation going up because they still do increase their prices. They just keep them just below the competition, making them the go-to buy. So they capture that demand um, as people's wallets get crimped.
2: All right, let's move on to Lowe's. Uh, we just had a guest on who said that some of the housing spending or housing-related spending uh, seems to be. Coming off the boil, Lowe's down more than 1% today, positive for the week. You say even as that home improvement boom does slow, folks will always need to buy something from Lowe's.
6: Absolutely. I mean, I think this is one of those. Lowe's is actually, you know, done not terribly, which is in this market is OK. Um, but, you know, the, the the fact of the matter is that what we're looking for is companies that have strong demand that will continue that demand where the demand um, will continue to be persistent despite the economic environment and where the balance sheet is clean and they have good margins. And so, you know, Lowe's is something that we think continues to be. Um, you're not going to you're not going to not fix things in your house. So even though we've come off of a big, you know, sort of home improvement, boom, um, that doesn't mean that people are going to stop dealing with home, you know, home home breaks. All right.
2: Let's move on to what you call a defensive buy. And that is AbbVie. That's the mystery chart we showed before the break. The shares are lower today, but they remain on pace for their best week since June. And you say drug makers are always a solid buy, regardless of the macro environment.
6: That's absolutely right. I mean, I think that the one thing that you have to, you know, maybe the one, the one fly in the ointment for some drug makers is whether or not they'll get some pushback on pricing. Um, but we see AbbVie is more because of the particular drugs they have is more or less insulated um, from that. and. And, you know, people keep buying their drugs throughout economic cycles. And we have just seen this as as just being a stellar defensive name. And they are sitting on a pile of cash. They're paying a huge dividend. And cash matters when you have potential stagflation, which is what I think we're going toward with the Fed route.
2: The opposite of stellar would be your choice to bail on. And that is AMC Entertainment. You say it's just bad. Bad cash flow, bad outlook, bad performance, and there are critics of some of the financial engineering capital structure things that they have been doing
6: yeah like I said just a minute ago, if cash is king in stagflation, then the lack of cash is a killer, and that's what's killing a m d They have very little cash and cash equivalents. they're not paying any sort of a dividend. there's no free cash flow. The expectations for earnings are for a you know almost negative thirteen to fourteen percent decline um and you know so, and their balance sheet has a ton of debt on it. These are just terrible it's a terrible it's terrible setup uh, for for owning a stock when you think that you know, and quite frankly, nobody's going to the movies anymore, and that's the bigger problem, yeah. right? So why would you own this when people's wallets are crimped?
2: Yeah, there, there have been a couple of good movies this year, but but not too many that get people out of their couch uh, and going to the theaters. AMC Entertainment, your bail this week, Gina. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. You got it. All right. Still ahead, ship stocks getting crushed today. The semiconductor ETF down about 5%, nearing its 52 week low. Check out its two worst performers AMD falling more than 10%, uh, now at the low, 12%, now at the uh, lowest level uh, since July of 2020. Marvel is uh, off by about 9%. Uh, we'll get into what's driving the drop next. The exchange is back in two. Marvel, I think. Welcome back, everybody. Chip stocks getting hit today. The SMH down about 5 percent. Still on pace, though, to eke out a gain for the week, thanks to Monday and Tuesday's rally. Remember that? Steve Kovac joins us now with the uh, names making the biggest moves. Steve?
9: Yeah, Tyler. So it all comes from those warnings we got last night and this morning from AMD. Samsung sending shares of names like NVIDIA, Intel, Micron, Marvel down with them. Not to mention consumer tech giants like Apple and Microsoft also in the red today. Samsung warnings is especially dire since they provide chips and components for PCs, phones on top of their own consumer's electronics business. Now, these announcements were reminding me of Microsoft's alert from the summer. They saw PC demand beginning to deteriorate. That's their word, deteriorate back in June. Now we're seeing the results of all of this. Remember, we saw so much pull forward demand. The first two years of the pandemic, PC sales surge, Apple, was setting max sales records every quarter for nearly two weeks, years straight that's coming to a screeching halt now despite the messaging from some that demand would continue to surge indefinitely bank of america analysts highlighting that in a note this morning as we watch chip names plummet saying quote the pc market has been weak but continues to surprise the companies themselves by blowing their guides to the downside they called out nvidia intel amd and micron as the culprits there That's the story here, Tyler, a disconnect between the falling demand signals we got months ago versus the story some of the chip companies were telling forcing them to drastically revise their guidance, Tyler.
2: Yeah, we have a on here. AMD leads S&P 500 lower after cutting Outlook. Is AMD, If you were to go in and look at this universe of stocks that you just talked about, is AMD the one that is most exposed to PC sales?
9: It's one of the, along with Intel, of course. Intel. And, and one other thing I wanted to talk about, AMD was also talking about inventory problems. Now, they didn't specifically say we have too much inventory, but you can kind of read between the lines and guess that. And that immediately made me think of Sony and PlayStation. You know, PlayStation 5, which is a huge uh, gadget for Sony and a huge sales driver, they've been out of stock for two years straight. And now with AMD having the inventory to help those chips and those devices, that could be actually kind of good for Sony uh, going into the holiday season for video game sales. All right. Steve, thank you very much. Thanks, Ty. I appreciate it. All
2: right, still ahead, check out this mystery chart. Despite strong demand and tight supply, this used car name is still down nearly 52 percent this year. We'll get a check on the state of the market and whether prices for used cars can remain red hot as rates rise. That's next. Welcome back, everybody. A new report showing used car prices are actually starting to cool off a bit. They're not quite back to pre-pandemic levels just yet, but that could Soon change. Phil LeBeau joins us now with the numbers. Hi, Phil. Hey, Tyler, this is the drop people have been waiting for. New data from Mannheim
10: auto auctions, they basically track the used car market and the pricing of the market. It shows that when you look at the prices of used car on a wholesale level from August to September, they were down 3%. It's the first year over year drop since May of 2020. Year to date, wholesale prices down 13%. I say wholesale because you have to understand how this works. Dealers are buying used vehicles from other dealers at auto auctions, often online, but still there are a few that are happening in person. And what they're noticing is that the market is shifting a bit. New buyers are still making up a, a portion of the demand that they usually see in the used market. The average used vehicle loan, it was up 8% last month to own more than 31,000. So as you take a look at those auto dealer stocks that are primarily focused on the used market, and we're talking about CarMax and Carvana, they're at 52 weeks lows, as is Lithia. It gets about 40% of its sales in the used market. And then also take a look at shares of the bigger auto dealerships, uh, dealership stocks. And we're talking about AutoNation, Group One, Penske Auto Group. They're all down today, not as much as those that are focused more on the used car market. Bottom line is this, Tyler. We expected this. We knew that this was going to happen at some point, And we're starting to see that market
2: cool off. All right, Phil, thanks very much. Our next guest says there could be some short-term volatility ahead in the auto sector, but he's bullish overall, as we head into 2023, let's bring in John Murphy, Senior Autos Analyst at B of A Securities. John, you got plenty of buy ratings across the auto sector, but sells on some of the big used car dealers like CarMax at a 52-week low. Uh, it was the mystery jar- chart we just te- teased. What has got you so bearish? And I ask whether the destruction of automobiles in Florida is going to change the calculus at all. Well, Tyler, thanks for having
11: me. Um, you know, I think there's, there's some really intriguing things going on in the auto industry and in its shortage of supply both on the new vehicle side and that's resulted in shortage of supply on, on the used vehicle side. And that's a phenomenon that's likely to continue um, well into 23 and maybe even to 24 and 25 unless we see a very, very significant pickup in new vehicle sales, which obviously is the feeder stock uh, for the, the, the used vehicle market. So what we're seeing right now um, is trough level new vehicle sales, uh, for roughly three years almost. We'll have a little bit of a recovery next year. At least that's what we're expecting, but only a small recovery. So the supply on the used vehicle side is going to stay relatively thin. So if you don't have a lot of supply to sell and you're a company like a CarMax or a Carvana that only sells used vehicles, your market is is small. Uh, the velocity of the churn in that market is relatively low because there's lower new vehicle sales that drive the velocity uh, in that market. And then you have all the new vehicle franchise dealers that are Um, having a hard time on the new vehicle side because they don't have a lot of volume to sell, focusing on more on used vehicles. So all those trade-ins they get, they're holding on to. So they're not dropping them into the secondary market. So even the paucity of supply that is available and churning is not getting to you or available in the market. So these pure used vehicle retailers, uh, we think are in a tough spot for now in the near term and potentially for the next couple of years. And there's kind of this whole idea that they're big growth companies. They're gonna do more and more online um, but if that growth is is stunted by these market dynamics, people are going to get pretty frustrated. So it's that's a, kind of why we, we a, yeah, have the underperform on, on Carmax right now.
2: I would have thought that if you have a paucity of supply for the used car company, used car dealers, that that would be kind of good for them because they'd be able to raise the prices. But you taking me down to the second and third and fourth levels. Where the business takes place, and you say it's really a problem because they can't they can't get the supply to sell. There aren't enough new cars uh, being made and bought to take the play to, to then feed the, the the supply of the of the used car market.
11: Am I getting it right, Todd? So you got to think about it. Uh, yeah, so you got to think about like a company like a, a carmax being somewhat of a, a spread business, right? They they focus on a gross margin of two to 2,200 dollars per vehicle, right? So if pricing is coming down and volumes coming up. And they're buying and selling. They're buying at the market and then selling with that gross. They do a lot of volume at that gross margin. But if volumes are, are, are I mean, if, if supply is low and pricing is high, mm-hmm. the consumer has a hard time buying those high-priced vehicles. There's less volume, and you're still making roughly the same kind of spread. So your absolute, um, you know, profits are lower. So it's it's in it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. As a used car retailer, you want to see prices down very low and volume up very high, as long as you're turning your inventory quickly. And making that spread your business is in really good shape so talk to me a but little bit right
2: about about what hurricane ian may have done uh, to change any of the dynamic i know carmax is big down there in, in that area um what's going to happen there because there were so many cars ruined i remember last fall uh a tropical storm or hurricane ida i think is what it was called killed a, including mine i lost a car in it to, to flooding and you just could not get replacement automobiles So
11: um, Florida market is about 6% of the total United States. So it's the third largest market uh, by sales and and registrations. Um, It appears that the storm from a a vehicle standpoint probably wasn't as damaging as other large uh, storms. Uh, Mannheim is estimating that the vehicles lost down there are roughly 30 to Mm 70,000 units. So call it 50,000 units uh, in the middle. So in the grand scheme of things, it will help because there will be to be those vehicles will need to be replaced. Uh, but it is not a, a massive going to be a massive That's driver uh, of catch up demand, if you will, from that from that from those lost vehicles. So it's
2: not a game changer. That's interesting. Okay, thanks so much. I appreciate it, John. John Murphy. Thanks, Tyler. We're grateful. Still ahead, shares of FedEx taking a hit today on report reports it's going to lower its volume forecast because it expects customers to ship fewer holiday packages. If transports are an indicator of recession, does this spell hard landing? We'll get a check on the state of freight. Is it great? Huh? Next. The Exchange will be right back. All right, welcome back to the Exchange. Everybody got a couple minutes to go here. I want to get to one more thing before we go, and that is the state of freight. Transports, widely viewed as a recession indicator. They go down, so does the economy. Uh, But they are handily handily outperforming the S&P at the start of this, the fourth quarter. But with reports of FedEx lowering its guidance yet again, is this trend going to hold? Frank Holland has been following the story. Frank.
1: Hey, good afternoon, Tyler. You know, As you mentioned, FedEx shares trading lower after a Reuters report. The company plans to warn about lower holiday peak volumes on October the 21st. As you can see, rival UPS shares hit even harder, falling 3.5%. I've been in contact with FedEx, and they say the company is updating individual contractors that operate their residential e-commerce-focused ground network to help them adjust staffing. Remember, back in September, CEO Raj Subramanian issued a very dire warning about softening freight volumes globally, even warned about a coming recession. In a statement, FedEx said, in part, weakening macroeconomic conditions are causing volume softness. We are constantly collaborating with customers on their projected shipping needs and making adjustments as necessary. But I also spoke with the incoming CEO of RXO, a digital freight brokerage. He says the freight slowdown actually has two sides.
8: If you think about the market loosening up a little bit and the load to truck ratio falling, that allows you to expand your margin. Typically, you pull down your transportation costs faster than what your customer rates fall.
1: So a very different story than we're hearing from FedEx. Important to note, as you mentioned, Tyler, Dow Transports outperforming the S&P this week. Some notable names here, XBO and Air Transport, up more than 10% week to date.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a counterintuitive signal there. I mean, you wouldn't expect those to go up heading into an economic slowdown. And if, for example, um, the holiday shopping season is, is weaker than many people think or than, than it's been recently.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely, Ty. I mean, it's the market showing some confidence. Those names that I just mentioned are tied to consumer spending and also expedited shipping. The two things that you would think we wouldn't need if everybody has all their inventory and there's going to be a consumer slowdown during the holiday peak.
2: Let's uh, leave it there, Frank. Thanks very much. Frank Holland reporting on the uh, transports force. Let's give you a quick check of where the Dow stands right now. Pressing in on the session lows, off about 603 points. I think 614 uh, was the session low. So that's a 2% decline there. Uh, but that's nothing compared with what we're seeing in the NASDAQ right now. It is off about and a half, three and two thirds percent That does it, folks, for the exchange. And I'll join my friend Contessa Brewer for Power Lunch, which starts right now. You've
0: been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
6: You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.